Hey, I'm Mel. And I'm Andres, and you're listening to Mixtape, your favorite Afro-Latin podcast. What she said. The Mixtape Podcast aims to build awareness of the way racist behaviors and ideas manifest in the Afro-Latin dancing. Follow us on Instagram at mixtape.podcast and click our link tree in the bio to learn more. Today's track is inspired by the song Danza Kizomba by LG Beats Killa and performed by Stoney. Today, we're listening to Pele Negra, Black Skin, by C4 Pedro, which was released just earlier this year. Pedro Enrique Lisboa Santos, commonly known by his stage name C4 Pedro, or C4 Pedro in English, was born in Luanda, Angola's capital, in 1983. The son of musician Lisboa Santos, C4 Pedro started his musical career in Belgium, where he lived during 10 years before moving back to Angola. C4 Pedro is a polyphasetic artist who can dance, sing, compose, and produce. He's credited as one of the most influential Angolan artists of the new generation, who has helped to put Kizomba in the global stage. In Pela Negra, C4 presents an auto love to and a celebration of the beauty of the dark-skinned black woman. C4 Pedro sings, Olho castanho, pele escura, santa brisa, frescura, carapinha, madura, genuina, sem mistura. Brown eyes, dark skin, holy breeze, freshness, real tight curls, genuine, pure, with no mixture. Notice how C4 Pedro reverses the usual anti-black stereotype that associates beauty with racial mixture. There is not an inch of that mantra of mejorar la raza, of improving the race, in Pela Negra's message. Zero. C4 Pedro continues. Perfection de paisagem, mas que bela imagem, bom demais de ser miragem, fecha solos, viagem. Perfect landscape. Such a beautiful image. So perfect, it must be a mirage. I close my eyes and I travel through it. C4 Pedro was the first Kizomba artist I discovered and whose music I fell in love with. His song, That So, is still one of my top favorite Kizomba songs. In C4 Pedro's own words from a BBC interview, I quote, Kizomba is party. It's dance. That's the meaning. It's from Angola. So if you're a happy person, if you want to dance, you're doing Kizomba already. If you're curious about this song or about C4 Pedro, check out our sources for this episode. Welcome to track number 6 of our second season, Danza Kizomba, Dance Kizomba. This is Mixtape. Welcome to track number 6 of our second season, Danza Kizomba, Dance Kizomba. 
Welcome to the Mixtape Podcast, and thank you for joining us for another episode from our Rhythm Season. If you're a regular listener, we are happy to have you back with us. And if you're listening for the first time, you should know that in this season, we explore different Afro-Latin and African rhythms we encounter while social dancing. In one episode, we discuss the rhythm, and in the subsequent Were You Listening episode, we feature a song with the associated rhythm. Yes, we discuss the history of the rhythm as well as the dance, the movement associated with it, and we also discuss how we can continue to center and recognize its black roots. Our season so far has consisted of Afro-Latin rhythms. We've produced episodes on samba, the complex of Afro-Cuban rhythms, the blend of rhythms known as salsa, bachata, merengue, and this month we are taking a trip across the ocean, away from the Americas, because the rhythm we're talking about today is... Kizomba! Kizomba in season one with one of our guests, Kimberly Nicole, owner of Kizomba RDU here in the Triangle region of North Carolina. For those of you unfamiliar with North Carolina, the Triangle region is made up of Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. In that two-part episode titled La Negra Tiene Tumbao, tracks 3A and 3B, our guests Kimberly Nicole and Lauren Wilmore talk to us about their experiences as Black business owners and professional dancers in the Afro-Latin dance scene. Yeah, it was such a great conversation, and I love having my good old friend and Kisamba instructor, Lauren Wilmore, with us. Definitely check both parts of that episode. They are really, really good. In that episode, we asked Kimberly to give us a brief history of Kisamba and a bit about her dance journey, to dive right into our conversation about how race and racism interacts with professional Afro-Latin and African dance, dance classes, dance team management, and dance business. So you have to know this about the triangle dance scene. Our dancers love kizomba. And although kizomba is not Afro-Latin, this African rhythm is all over the scene. Exactly. That's why we didn't blink twice about including kizomba in this season, even though we have been focusing mostly on Afro-Latin rhythms. At the end of the day, in the African diaspora, we're all linked to Mama Africa. The drums are always calling our names. Before we introduce our wonderful guests, let's get a brief historical context. The Portuguese colony of Angola, located in southwestern Africa, was established in 1576 out of a settlement established at Luanda Bay, which is the body of water just outside of present-day capital city Luanda. From its inception, Portuguese Angola existed to profit from the transatlantic slave trade. With the establishment of wealth from the transatlantic slave trade, the Portuguese expanded its territorial colonization inland, conquering the Ndongo and Congo kingdoms, the two strongest states in West Central Africa, through military force, establishing Portuguese Angola as a powerful presence. Records from the transatlantic slave trade database indicate that about 5 million slaves left the ports of West Central Africa between the 1650s and 1860s, taking with them a whole musical culture. By the 1780s, the number of slaves exported annually from Angola to Brazil one of the countries with an exceptional demand for slave labor, reached 40,000. After pressure from the British on Portugal and Brazil to end the import of slaves by 1830, 
Portugal eventually forbade the export of enslaved Angolans across the Atlantic. Scholars say it is not possible to specify exactly when nationalist sentiments in Angola started to emerge, but they argue that a sense of national Angolan identity was already present sometime in the late 19th and early 20th century. By the 1950s, these national sentiments coalesced into a movement aimed at independence. Nationalist ideas circulated among members of several cultural associations, including musicians who contributed to this with their music, like Semba. Semba is considered a traditional rhythm originally danced to celebrate good harvests, marriages, births, and other occasions. It was developed on Angola's coast during the 17th century and is regarded as the music of the sea. Before the expansion of Christianity in Angola, Angolans used to dance Semba as a way of worshipping their gods, but throughout the 60s and 70s, they sang about freedom and everyday life. In the second half of the 20th century, the Angolan Revolution emerged within the context of two larger geopolitical processes, which was decolonization across Africa and the Cold War. On April 25, 1974, the Armed Forces Movement, AFM, overthrew Portugal's Prime Minister, Marcelo Caetano, in a coup, ending Portuguese colonial rule in Angola by 1975. The coup, known as Carnation Revolution, was an indirect consequence of the political, military, and economic pressure that the pro-independence war in Angola, Mozambique, and Guinea-Bissau put on the Portuguese people and its government. With the end of Portuguese colonial rule and lacking a robust plan for peaceful transition of power back to the Angolans, the country became a proxy battleground for Cold War opposing fronts seeking control in the region. While the official government, named the People's Movement for the Liberation of Angola, MPLA, was backed by the USSR and Cuba, the guerrilla group National Union for the Total Independence of Angola, UNITA, was backed by the USA and then apartheid regime of South Africa. The MPLA and UNITA were in a civil war for 16 years until democratic elections took place in September 1992. But soon after, armed conflict in Angola persisted until the assassination of Jonas Savimbi, the UNITA leader, in February 2002. The assassination led to negotiations between UNITA and the MPLA, resulting in a peace agreement signed two months later. In the midst of a nearly three-decade-long armed conflict, Kizomba emerged in the late 70s and early 80s, breaking through socio-political and military chaos. This new sound emerged as a blend of Angolan music, namely Semba, with influences from foreign rhythms such as Sukus, Haitian Compa, Kadoons, Begin, Zouk, and more. Despite a rigorous system of censorship that curtailed Angolan art throughout the Civil War, rhythms that left with enslaved Angolans centuries earlier would return to the country to be part of the hybrid rhythm that today we call Kizomba. In the 1990s, with Civil War continuing in the country, Many Angolans emigrated to Portugal for economic stability, academic aspirations, and new opportunities, bringing their culture with them, bringing Kizomba with them. Initially, carrying the stigma of the African immigrant living in the capital of its former colonizer, Kizomba was eventually commodified, destigmatized, and marketed in Lisbon, across Europe, and in several other parts of the world. In a 2018 article titled Kizomba, the history of bachata's more sensual cousin. Kizomba is described as a, quote, sensory experience where the music and the rhythm dictate your next step. 
More than just a dance, Kizomba gives voice to the history and the spirit of the Angolan people. End quote. More on Angola's extensive history can be found on the resources tab on our website. To help build our knowledge of this rhythm, we heard from two brilliant guests. First, we met with Rui Jassi Morasen, a project manager in the oil and gas industry who is also the founder of the University of Kisomba, a nonprofit educational initiative that aims to promote Angola at large, preserving its culture and the essence of its dances. Rui's work focuses on the importance of understanding the sociocultural dynamics associated with Kisomba. When we met with Rui, we told him that we heard some people assume that Kizomba developed in Latin America. Andres even shared that his first impression after watching a YouTube video of it was that it had actually developed in Europe. I've come to my senses since then. <laughs> we asked Rui to explain where Kizomba really comes from. In a very summarized way, Kizomba is coming originally from Angola. But Angola is a country that had a civil war for 27 years. So Angola was a country that, you know, people would only associate with starvation and war, destruction, death. So the cultural elements coming from Angola were pretty much subdued to some extent. And that wasn't the national media uh, spoke about Angola. So very few people, unless you were living in Angola or unless you were part of an Angolan immigrant community, were aware of Kizomba. Angola became independence, independent in November 75. A civil war starts right away. You know, in the early 80s, uh, you know, you're at the peak of the, civil, of the Cold War uh, and Angola is suffering a lot. Didn't have at that time, at least were not discovered, the mineral resources, the natural resources, the oil, the diamonds. So people were, were struggling. So a lot of people started emigrating to Portugal, right? Portugal because, one, the convenience of the language, of the common language. Uh, two, because a lot of people had ties with Portugal. So it's easier to immigrate where you have family or you have relatives or because your father, your grandfather, grand-grandfather has Portuguese ties, it's easier for you to get a work permit or a residence card, whatever. So it's easier overall to emigrate. So, you know, immigrants, they always take whatever they can take with them. The food, the culture, people always try to take because that's what it does. These are the intangibles that make you or keep you rooted to your homeland. So people took Kizomba with them. They took the music, they took the dance, and eventually Kizomba started to become more popular in the mainstream Europe. Started becoming popular around 2008, 2009, maybe a few, you know, plus minus around that time via the massification of the teaching. So we had a few Angolans and also Cape Verdeans and also people from Guinea-Bissau, you know, people from the former Portuguese colonies that initially they had only day parties. They had a few parties, nightclubs, but very secluded, very, I would even say, marginalized from mainstream Portuguese society. So you had to know where to go if you're living in Lisbon or in Portugal as an immigrant of Angola, Cape Verde, Guinea-Bissau, or even Mozambique. You, had, you, need, you, had, you need to, to know where to go. You wouldn't, today you go to a shopping mall in Portugal, you know, the poshest shopping mall in Lisbon, and people are playing kizomba uh, in the stores, in, in the corridors as ambient music. So it's become mainstream, uh, at least in Portugal. That wasn't the case in, in the 80s. That wasn't the case even in the 90s. 
So a few Angolans started, you know, teaching Angolans and, and I would say we used, to, we used to call them PALOPS. PALOPS is the acronym for Portuguese speaking African countries. So, you know, includes Angola, Mozambique, Cape Verde, uh, San Tome, and Guinea-Bissau. So the PALOPS in Portugal started to try to expand and go out of the, you know, communities and try to take Kizomba outside to mainstream Portuguese society. So a few guys started to actually giving uh, classes. Bear in mind that back home in Angola, we don't really believe that Kizomba can be taught, you know, like in a structured way, in the westernized way of learning a dance. For us, it's like, well, it's something that you just learn when you grow up. You know, your parents take you to parties, you listen to the music everywhere. You know, hopefully you're born with some natural rhythm and that alone gives you the ability to learn the dance. So that's how Kizomba is transported with the, with the longing from the immigrants. That's how it's transported from Angola. And that's how it's taken to Portugal. In Portugal, you have a few people starting to give structured classes. Then it becomes also something that is become a little bit more present in some salsa and bachata festival. So they had initially, you know, you know, they were given a place where they could have a social. So then some people really liked it. Another thing that also helped with the massification of the dance in Europe, not only the structured way of teaching, because, you know, in most Western cultures, even Anglo-Saxonic culture, people like structure, you know, almost like with a mathematical precision, instead of just going by instinct, by feel, by, by rhythm, right? So that was one of one factor. Another factor is also that you started to have competitions organized. You know, there was one famous competition that is no longer in place called Africa Dansad, which they would somehow bring champions or winners from different competitions in different parts of Europe and also from North America and Canada and compete. Putting Kizomba on that map made it seem like it's a dance that can be used for performances. Then it starts to get the commercial aspect of it. You know, promoters start to see that, okay, instead of this just being a dance that people can just feel and enjoy, we can actually start to put it into festivals. So that's when you start to see the videos. Like, for instance, when you see videos, most of the videos that you used to see were videos mostly taken at festivals in Europe. And that's why in Angola, it's very hard for people to have, you know, it's expensive to have data plan. One, is expensive to have a decent cell phone that has a good camera to record a good video. If you go to my page, almost every single video that I have on the University of Zomba page from Angola is low quality because people don't have the resources to shoot that video with the quality that you have, you know, in a festival in North America or in Europe. So the stuff that people start to see when Kizomba starts to become somewhat mainstream and starts to, you know, gain and carve its own space alongside salsa and bachata, when people start to notice, what do they see? What are the videos that are more appealing? Are the videos that are well shot, well recorded? And mostly this comes from, from Europe. People in Angola, one, don't have the resources. And two, they don't take Kizomba seriously until today. They don't really see that it's something that you can, you know, profit from or something that, you know, there's, there's a business side to it. So they never really take it seriously. People in Europe realize that much faster, whether because they really enjoy the dance, that's one part of it, whether because they, they realize the business potential thereof. So that's how 
Kizomba becomes somewhat confused as a dance that is not African. Now that we know where Kizomba comes from, what does Kizomba mean? The word Kizomba is a word from the Kimbundu language. So Angola has uh, different tribes. You have the Kimbundus, you have the Ambundus, you have the Kikongos, you have the Ngangela. So the Kimbundus are mostly in, near the capital area and the central north of the country. So that's their language. The word Kizomba means, you know, to party. You know, in, in very simple terms, it's to, part, it's to have a good time, it's to socialize as well, right? Not necessarily the party as we know today, but it's mostly like, okay, let's have a good time. Let's, it's almost like a celebration, right? It's a gathering with the purpose of celebrating and having fun and socializing. So the word already existed. Uh, so people would always refer to Kizomba uh, even before it became the name of the dance, right? So in the early 80s, that's when people started to say, okay, this is Kizomba dancing, but before the word already existed. So it wasn't a word that was created as a commercial brand in the 80s. No, the word already existed. Rui continued to take us through Kizomba's emergence through its roots in Masamba, its fusion with square dance, as well as the racial caste system that facilitated the integration of dance styles in this rhythm. Kizomba as a dance comes from another dance that precedes it called Samba. Samba was somewhat of a dance that developed in Angola, you know, as a social dance, you know, in the 40s and the 50s, it became very hot in Angola, very popular within the colonial era, especially in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, and then the younger generation then started to dance with a different vibe, with a different energy, and it became a, a separate dance for Kizomba, okay? So as far as Samba is concerned, uh, there are two aspects that make part of Semba as a dance. The first aspect is uh, there is um, you know purely African dance that was not a pair dance called Masemba. Masemba means my navel or my belly button touches your belly button. So my is plural uh, of Semba. So that means I'm gonna do some spins on my own. You do, you're gonna do some spins on your own, and then bam our bellies are going to touch, right? That's the African side of the dance, right? There is also another influence, which is during the colonial era, you had the black elite, which was called the assimilados, right? The people who could speak Portuguese, they, they had you know, the ability to read and write, they were Catholic. So there were certain requirements for you to be called assimilado or to actually have a card uh, that would say, you know, Melissa is assimilado, but Andres eats with his hands. He doesn't speak proper Portuguese. He's not Catholic. He sleeps on the floor, doesn't sleep in a bed. So Andres is an indigenous. indigenous. So the assimilated, had, the assimilated, the assimilados had certain advantages. One of the advantages is that, you know, you get closer to the colonial power 
you get jobs in the colonial administration. It was a source of pride. It was a social source of income because you you'd be better off being assimilado than an indigenous, right? So being an assimilado that means you are just close enough to be considered European or white European, but you're not there yet. So that's another caste, if, if you will. That's another, uh, if you stratify society, colonial uh, colonial time Angola, you had, you know, the white Portuguese, you had the assimilado, you had the indigenous, right? Um, and the assimilados wanted to do, they wanted to emulate and to be as close as possible to European standards of living, habits, you know, food, uh, what you wear, how you walk, how do you conduct yourself, how you speak, you know, your body language, your mannerism, etc. So one of the things that they copied from, from seeing the Portuguese or seeing the Europeans is this dance called square dance, uh, the French called quadrille, right? So they saw quadrille and they said, oh, we can, we can actually incorporate this here. So they started to incorporate in the social dancing, incorporating both elements of Masamba, which is the more African way, with elements of the so-called square dance or quadrille from the European side. Kizomba as a dance is born most likely after the incorporation of, of Caribbean Zouk. Zouk becomes very prevalent in Angola. People are consuming a lot of Zouk as a, as a music genre in the late 70s, early 80s. So the new generation starts to dance what is today Kizomba. In very loose terms, you can think of Kizomba as the generation from the 70s and the 80s. They said, you know what? I, I like the way our elders dance in the 70s and the 60s. But we dancing to a different type of music now. So we have a type of music that is more conducive to dance in a, in a way that we like the most. So Kizomba then become a dance, right? A dance on its own uh, that is almost very easily to confuse with Samba. There's, it, you, can, you, know, you can still debate whether, you know, what is the step? Is this Samba? Is this Kizomba? Because at the root, at the essence, it's still the same dance. If you will, you can say, well, Semba is mostly the dance that, you know, the elders would dance up to a certain point. The new generation of Angolans in Angola, when they started to listen and consume Caribbean music, mostly Caribbean music, you know, the compa directs, the, the cadans, the zouk, uh, uh, the begins, you know, the French Caribbean, the Martinique, Guadeloupe music, they started to impart a different, uh, you know, somewhat of a modified energy to their dance. The steps, if you look, it's almost difficult to pinpoint at which point is this step Semba, which point is this step Kizomba. But you can say that Kizomba separates itself from Semba towards the 80s when Zouk becomes the music that Angolan, Angolans listen the most and dance the most in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh. As we spoke with Rui, we wonder, do we see any foreign influences in how Kisomba is danced? 
Rui further explained the evolution of kizomba as a dance, the emergence of urban kizomba, commonly known as urban kiss, and the markers of the dance that draw attention to viewers. Yeah, I think you have two, two, two main uh, evolutions. Okay, I think you have the, if, if you will, maybe evolution is a you know controversial word, but I think you have two different uh, dynamics. One dynamic is if you are born, you know, born and raised, you know, second generation, or you left Angola a long time ago, I will be able to see that you didn't learn to dance in Angola. You, mm -hmm. you, all I need is for you to dance for 30 seconds and your your way of moving is different. Both leads and follows, not just leads and follows as well. Um, I can send you videos of Angolans dancing overseas versus Angolans dancing in Angola. The same song, and you, you see the energy is different. Not that one is better than, than the other, but you can see. Uh, so sometimes people in Angola will make fun and they say, oh, you're dancing like white people, right? Because, you know, you, you, <laughs> you spend so much time in Europe that you've lost that, you know, Africanness in your in your body movement. That's one way. The other way is um, because a lot of people, uh, when they saw the original Kizomba or the Ango the Kizomba dance that looks, you know, as close as possible to the, what I call the source code Kizomba from Angola, I think a lot of people struggle. They struggle with the polyrhythmic aspect of the dance. Uh, they struggle with songs having different songs sounding different uh they struggle to with with rhythm you know put very sim simply so a lot of people said um well I, you know i i i think i would rather dance this in a more mono rhythmic um uh, beat so they created then uh you know some fusions and they've been different fusions some have uh, survived some have disappeared. I think the one that uh, is, you know, the most popular one is called Urban Keys, um, which is, you know, noticeably different from way of dancing Kizomba. Uh, it's not as circular, it's more linear, there's more separation, there's less, there's less, you know, when you dance Kizomba, it's usually a close embrace. Um, for as much as the, some of the Urban Kiss guys try to sometimes incorporate aspects of Kizomba, it's different. So th there's Urban Kiss took its own path and it became a standalone dance separate from the Kizomba uh, dance umbrella. Uh, and I think in Urban Kiss is where you start to see, uh, you see R&B influences. <laughs> watch say 10 videos of people dancing kizomba i think you can see a commonality either it's the circular aspect of the dance or you know the saidas as we call um, you can see elements that are common in all 10 videos i think if you watch 10 videos today of people dancing urban keys i think you'll struggle to identify you know what are the key elements of this because to me and i watch a lot of these videos as well to me, it sounds like it's still consolidating itself. It's still evolving. It doesn't have a matrix. It doesn't have a DNA. Um, wait to see people adding their own stuff because it's fusion. Because it's fusion, uh, there's no really boundaries. 
right? Nobody's regulating how you can dance, how you cannot dance. If you put Urban Keys as the main, you know, uh, side track or sidekick of Kizomba in the festival, Kizomba Festival world, you see that they are they, they have different influences in Urban Keys. Kids in Angola today, because of the social media era, they quickly realize that the more tricks you put in a video, the more it will attract viewers and the more people in Europe will like it. Because truth be told, you know, unless you've danced Kizomba, unless you've experienced, uh, you know, the, the, the bliss of being in close embrace with another human being and the music is singing, if you just look, watch at a video of two people dancing Kizomba, nine out of 10 people are like, what's so special about this? Unless you've danced it and you've experienced. Now, what really inspires people overseas, what, pe what makes people drawn to the dance, sometimes is the, you know, the level of difficulty of some of the tricks. That's what really made, made Kizomba today. The videos that go viral from, you know, pure Kizomba slash Samba are videos that has, have tricks or it, they're very performative elements, right? So the kids in Angola realize that. So sometimes, you know, the elders or, you know, the purists have to tell them, guys, are you really listening to the music or are you just executing you know, a sequence of steps because sometimes they don't even listen to the music anymore. And you can see that the, although the steps are beautiful, although they, the level of difficulty is extreme, the musicality is off because all they carry, they dance and they're thinking, somebody's recording this, this is going to be on Facebook tomorrow. I better put the fanciest tricks because white people in Europe will love it and they'll share my video. You know, we say in Angola, you dance Kizomba from within to outside. You don't dance Kizomba uh, for other people. It's you don't dance Kizomba so people are like, hey, watch me, watch me. Look what I'm going to do now. Look what I'm going to do now, right? So the essence of the dance got a little bit diluted because of all these factors where social media played a big role. Because even people in Angola today, especially the younger generation who aspire one day to come and teach in the States or come go and teach in Europe, they believe that the first, the best ticket out is to dance in a way that will be very appealing to Europeans. We wondered, what other modern musical contributions make up the Kizomba rhythm? Kizomba has, because it was made by the younger generation, was made by experimentation, if you will, uh, by different influences. Kizomba allows you to, gives you latitude to play with it. So throughout the years, if you listen to Kizomba that was heavily influenced by Zouk in the early 80s, you're gonna notice that it's gonna be different from Kizombas that some people are making today that maybe has an influence of Afrobeats. I can send you a Kizomba song that at the beginning, you don't know, is this, a, is this going to be a salsa song or is it going to be a Kizomba song? Is this going to be a compass song or is this going to be a kizomba song because kizomba gives you that freedom and that's why as a music genre it was very hard for the elders or if you call it the more purist musicians or critics of angolan music to accept kizomba so kizomba gives you that let you get that freedom to experiment and also to add things as you go along that's why you have kizombas today that sound like salsa or compa or even merengue um, so you have the influence over the years, and today uh, you can see that 
you know, there's a lot of influence uh, of what is called ghetto zouk. Ghetto zouk is a music genre that was made by Cape Verdean immigrants in Holland. Angolans really like that because it sounded like kizomba, but much slower kizomba. Uh, at some point where in Angola, we were infatu infatuated with Cape Verdean music. And this music became almost like the goal that Angolan, Angolans, especially the younger Angolan artists, that, that, that was the, the ceiling, that, they, that was the standard that they wanted to achieve. I want to be, I want my music to sound like Cape Verdean artist X. I want my music to sound like Johnny Ramos or Nelson Freire. So that was the goal. And because of that, until today, you still see a lot of influence in Kizombas uh, that come from that uh, aspect, the ghetto zook. Another influence that you get also is because of the proximity to Cape Verde, you get sometimes some of the songs have this coladera, which is a you know traditional, conventional, mainstream Cape Verdean music. You have coladera also influencing Kizomba. I think Kizomba, and this is my observation over the past five, seven years, as a music genre, is going in a direction that is going to be very hybrid. And today, I would say most influences in Kizomba continue to be ghetto zook, of course. Some guys um, try to make it as close as possible to Samba and, of course, keeping the, the identity of Kizomba. Uh, some guys uh, are still stuck in the 80s and 90s. They're still in love with Caribbean zook, with the Kassab. So they try to make it as close as possible to, you know, a good old Kizomba song. Uh, Zook song, they try to keep it as close as possible to that. And some guys are experimenting. Some guys really like compa and they make songs that sound just like compa. Uh, some guys studied in Cuba. Some guys spent a lot of time uh, hanging around people from Latin America. So they like to give a salsa slash rumba a feel or song sometimes to their to they songs. Brown skin girl, Melanina so alive. Rock my world, then you move the upside down. Ooh, you're a bad, bad mama. Louis provides us with such rich information. And we had the opportunity to revisit Kimberly for this conversation. Could we actually have done this episode without her knowledge? Absolutely not. I don't think so. As a reminder for our listeners, Kimberly Nicole is a marketing and communication professional, as well as the owner of Kizomba RDU here in the Triangle, where she teaches Kizomba and Semba. She is also the mother of two-year-old triplets, yes, triplets, who were sound asleep by the time we had an opportunity to interview her. When we met with Kimberly, we asked her, how can someone who doesn't know a whole lot about Kizomba understand the differences between the rhythms that fall under its umbrella? I think kizomba and simba get a little bit trickier because the rhythms can be closely matched together. But when it comes to compa, it has an innate rhythm and it also has a guitar that goes with it as well. I say every country has like their two steps. So compa is kind of like the Haitians two step. So if you see people kind of two stepping, not really doing like saidas or cha-chas or stuff like that, 
that's how you would be able to identify compa because the rhythm is different and the dance is different as well. Rabita, well, you definitely would know the difference because the music sounds very, very old. <laughs> um, and it's a different, it's in a rueda, so it's in a round. So that's one way to, um, you would be able to see Rubita differently. And that's usually done at, at festivals to get everybody involved, right? Um, because it's done in the round. It's, it is a partner dance, but you do walk around in a circle with each other. And Kizamba and Simba takes a little bit because you have to train the ears to be able to hear the, the Simba rhythm different than the Kizamba rhythm. But they do look the same. And some people dance their Kizamba just like they dance their Simba. We were also interested in how we can tell the difference between Tarashinha and Tarasho. So Tarashinha is very, very close, like much closer than Kizamba. Um, you're literally like hugging your partner. Um, it's a lot of well, people will think it's the body rolls in Kizamba is really Tarashinya. Um, and usually it's dance to slower songs. When people start getting really close and dancing in place, that's how you know Tarashinya is on. The Tarasho is more on the urban kiss side. And so Tarashinya is more from like the waist below in terms of sensual rounded body movements. And Tarasho will use your whole body and more isolations as well. So you could have like an upper body isolation, like doom, boom, boom. And then you could like mirror your partner or play around with it. So it's not just solely from the waist down and it's, it can be staccato movements or they could be rounded as well. So it just depends on how the lead or follow plays with one another. But Tarashinya is definitely more rounded movements and not as much of the isolations or the staccato movements. We heard about the Angolan migration to Portugal. We asked Kimberly whether this migration has influenced how Kisomba music is created and what Kisomba artists sing about. So you will have um, Angolan artists who actually have homes both in Portugal and Angola still. Um, but when we're talking about Kizomba itself and we're talking about Simba music itself, those are things that are culturistic to living in Angola or about leaving and returning to Angola or coming home, right? They wouldn't necessarily sing about their experiences in Portugal unless it was a longing or missing of being home, right? So it wouldn't be about their everyday life, you know, walking around Lisbon or walking around um, you know, another <laughs> popular city, Porto or something like that, because their lives are still so attached to Angola. And even with the recent migration um, after the Civil War, or during the Civil War, you know, that was still in the 
late 70s, early 80s, right? So you still have a whole generation who is still attached to Angola, who may have left Angola to go to, from the war, but their experiences are still so rooted in Angola. I will say in terms of musical production, when you get into some of the music that is made by Cape Verdean artists, it becomes a little bit different. And a lot of Cape Verdean artists do have that um, kind of like that R&B hip hop feel behind their music. And that does have to do with the influence of hip hop in their music, right? Um, and a lot of Cape Verdean music is produced actually out of Europe as well. And there was um, a big one that's actually in the Netherlands. Um, and they produce a lot of modern sounding quote unquote R&B feeling type of music as well. A lot of Kizemba songs talk a lot about love. So that's, you know, that love is whoever is your inspiration at that time. That's not necessarily specific to a location, but that's just how love is. In salsa music, mostly dominated by males, we very often encounter the subject of the negra, la morena, la negrita, la mulata, the muse of the song. In general, the subject of blackness is all over the place in salsa music and sometimes also in bachata music. We asked Kimberly, do we see those frequent, explicit expressions of blackness in Kizomba? Well, Kizomba is inherently black. Does that make sense? Right? So um, it's an African dance and the subjects of songs are about African life and that includes blackness. So it's already inherently in there when they're talking about a beautiful woman, it's the beautiful women that they see in their country every single day. It's not the beautiful woman in America. It's not the beautiful woman in Europe. It's the beautiful Angolan woman in their country. So blackness is inherently already throughout the song because that's who is their muse. Um, and so it doesn't need to be explicitly said. It's just already implied. <laughs> In preparation for this episode, one of the sources we consulted was a 2019 article by researcher Livia Jimenez Sedano, based in Nova University in Lisbon. The article argues that, quote, the global Kizomba infrastructure relies strongly on the pre-existing global salsa circuits, which may help to explain why many artistic couples are composed of an African black male and a white European female partner, end quote. We asked Kimberly what this dynamic in partnership means for professional Black followers and what it reveals about Black predominantly male leaders. So the first part I wanted to challenge was the, the part that it had talked about um, Kizumba, like really relying heavily like on the salsa circuit and that type of format. So I wanted to address that part first with one saying that, well, Kizumba may have in its earlier days become popular through the salsa or Latin circuit. In its day and age now, it's definitely able to stand alone on itself where we don't need to have um, to be so married or tied to like the Latin circuit. 
And that's evident by numerous festivals that are across the world, just solely focused on Kizomba or urban kids. Um, and then also wanted to say that the format of the salsa circuits also sometimes is not conducive to Kizomba itself. So the format of having the um, workshops during the day and then having the shows and then having the parties. Um, Kizomba is more of a dance that you feel and you experience. So that's why you don't see a lot of Kizomba shows that are out there uh, because it's more about the connection between you and your partner, the connection between the music, the story that the music is telling, the energy that you feel, and less about the flashy and showmanship um, unless you get into Simba or some of the urban kids and some of the Kizamba fusion. Um, so that's why when you see a lot of Kizamba festivals, a lot of there might be little workshops during the day and they'll be dancing to like six, seven, eight, nine, ten in the morning because really wanting people to experience what that Kizamba connection is. The second part, um, to me, I feel is a very loaded question. As a Black follower, and I, I speak about this very, very often in my experience in the scene as not only a dancer, but also as a scene builder and a professional um, dancer as well, that sometimes it does become a little bit disheartening um, to feel that you, as someone who is Black, and a dance that is African in nature, don't always get to see yourself in other followers or other dancers who have been perceived to have made it, right? Who are perceived to be the most famous couples in the global scene. As it was mentioned, like, yes, it's usually an, an African male dancer partnered with a European or non-melanated dancer. Um, and as someone who takes dance serious, um, as I said, sometimes it can be a little bit disheartening and you feel like maybe I don't belong in this dance or I don't belong in this dance scene because you start to personalize and internalize, you know, why do I not see myself more out there? And how far can I really go as this as a professional when you see other people achieving quote unquote more than you are? And so for Black follows, and I've heard this from many of my students and just other females across the scene and other professionals, um, either in Europe or in other parts, Black females, that they do notice this. And um, there is kind of this thinking that in order to be successful or order to be marketed, right, that a male, an African male instructor will be hired more if he is partnered with a European or a white Caucasian or light fair-skinned follower. And so it's been kind of that messaging that you will go further with someone who is not black. And that has been, geez, I've heard that numerous times in the scenes where even other male instructors tell other male instructors, you would be better with this certain follower as your partner versus having a black woman as your partner. You'll get more video views. Um, people will want to dance with you more, etc. So there has been this kind of attachedness to success being with a Caucasian, European, 
or non-melanated follower. The other aspect is that there's this misinformation that Black follows don't train as much. And that is entirely untrue. I know countless followers, self-included, who have spent thousands of dollars to train only to be then again waiting on the sideline not to get dances because of this whitewashedness that has happened in the Kizamba scene. The other thing that I've heard as well too is that it's more intimidating having a Black follow and a Black lead together because people will say, I can't dance like that. I can't see myself in that. But if you have a male African partner with someone who is not, then when you're trying to diversify or reach other audiences, then it's, oh, that's attainable. I can dance like that. So this dance is for me and it's not as intimidating. These are all things that I've heard that as a Black follow are a little bit disheartening because they're all falsities, right? They're all falsehoods. And I think some of this actually happens more in urban kids and Kizamba fusion than more of Kizamba, Kizamba dancers, right? And um, as a follow, as I was growing up in my Kizamba years, that's what I would look for. I would look for other follows and other professionals that had the essence of the dance from the roots and the culture. And that's not necessary to say they were black or they're white because there's other non-black females in the scene who I look up to and I adore. But again, it is disheartening as a black follow to see that. I've noticed that in the Kisomba scene, there seems to be many women who are able to both lead and follow. I imagine this was either a consequence of the market, in other words, not many male leads, or simply a phenomenon emerging from the passion of knowing the rhythm holistically. We asked Kimberly about this prevalence of female leads. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I know the only reason why I started leading was because I uh, when I first started dancing, I actually just solely did following. But at that time, I had a partner and um, he was unable to go to events as often as, as I was. So I would go, I learned leading and come back and I would train him. And then um, that partnership kind of fizzled. Then I still wanted to continue to teach. And so that's why I started learning more how to lead because I wanted to be able to teach properly the dance. I know a lot of females, they're just tired of sitting around, right? So they want to create their own party. And a lot are learning to lead now because of the ratio of there is leads to follows. Then some, they do love the, the dance and they want to be able to create their own musical expression through leading and um, be able to interpret the songs as they like to interpret and dance and lead as well. Olho castanho, peuscura, santa brisa, frescura, garapinha madura. As we spoke to Rui, we thought about how Kizomba has been transformed to facilitate the instruction of dancers outside of Angola. This opened us up to a conversation on maintaining and protecting the essence of the Angolan culture versus adapting and commercializing the dance to facilitate its diffusion, to respond to the economic incentives in the market. But we never thought in Angola with counting, never. It was always by feeling. 
You know, if I'm going to teach somebody to dance, I put, you know, my daughter or my son, I put them on, on stepping on my feet and I try to walk so they can start to have a feel. If I'm going to mimic sounds, I can just mimic with my mouth. I can do clapping so they can get into rhythm. Today, because Europeans demanded, and now we, and then we can start talking about, you know, the privilege and the self-entitlement because Europeans demanded, if you want, you know, whether that was, you know, spoken or unspoken, if you want this dance to be commercialized, if you want this dance to be popular and, and, and you know, in festivals, etc., you have to change the way you teach because we don't, we don't do well with just feeling. So I want structure. I want counting. I want mathematical precision. And I think that's where uh, Angolans and Pai have had a firmer pulse. Like uh, risk, they, 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 they should have been more assertive and say, you know, no, I want to preserve the essence of this dance. And since you liked it, and since you are the one coming and wanting to learn, no, you should learn in the way that I learned. Angolans have tweaked everything, the teaching, uh, the formats of the festival. Like we don't have festivals per se in Angola. The concept of going and dancing from a Thursday night to a Sunday or a Monday morning is foreign to us. Like who dances so long without even having a, a, a beer? Who dances for so long without even, some people don't even talk to each other during a festival. So they see each other when they check in on Thursday night and they say bye when they're waiting for their Uber to go to the airport on Monday morning. That's completely not so like, how can you dance so much? How can you not socialize, right? So the concept of, of, of even the way we, we, we promote the culture of Kizomba overseas is a way that is conducive to what Westerners or Europeans want. Even the music that DJs play. The average Angolan DJ that plays at, at a festival, a mainstream festival in Europe or, or in North America, he will not play the same way at an Angolan party. So people are like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you playing such soporific, such slow, boring, low energy music, right? People will not enjoy it. But he has tweaked his way of DJing. Um, the instructor has tweaked the way of, of teaching, um, even the way people dance, even the way people organize themselves um, for this event. It's all catering towards what the paying masses because these are the people who are paying and keeping your festival afloat they're the people who fill up the hotel rooms they're the people going to buy full passes without asking for a discount right and i think that's where we lost a little bit of the plot and that's where the the essence of the culture the way it's promoted today uh is completely different from the authentic uh, way. So when people go to Angola on a tour or on holidays, whether they go in small groups or large groups or they go as a couple, they go along like, wow, this has nothing to do with what you guys sell us in Europe. Because we think like they go to Angola and they look for a place to dance on a Tuesday night. There's no place to dance on a Tuesday People work on a Tuesday night. What do you mean dancing on a Tuesday night, right? But <laughs> it's a conundrum that uh, I think is hard to, to solve. Uh, there's a lot of unlearning uh, to do. There's a lot of new education to do uh, to the people. I don't think everything was done with a bad intention. I don't think, personally, I don't think that uh, folks would just say, okay, we're going to dilute and vilipend this culture and, and you know, uh, adulter it and make it in a way that I think some people, it's human nature to try to make the thing comfortable for you, right? We don't usually go out of our way to go like when I try my steps in salsa, sometimes you know, if I go to a place and they're dancing salsa, most likely some of my steps are going to be like Kizomba like steps, right? Because that's that's where my comfort zone is. 
So I don't think necessarily that people did with bad intentions, but the result today is, as you rightly said, is that, yes, from one side, it benefited the expansion. Now you can go to, well, in the pre-pandemic world, you could go to almost any capital in Europe and you have a social every single weekend. You go to Paris, you go to Barcelona, you go to Madrid, you go to Lisbon, forget about Lisbon. That's like, you know, the capital of Zomba in Europe these days. You go to Poland, you know, Slovakia, places that we could never imagine that you find a Kizomba social just 15 years ago. So that helped with expansion, but now it's the 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 the, the fight or the cause of certain people is you know how do we then tell these people that now they fell in love with Kizomba that hey the way it's being promoted in Europe it's actually quite different from the way we do at the source, right? So that's the, the effort. I think the next step in this journey is for people to experience Kizomba away from the festival structure, from the conventional festival structure, because people are very comfortable in that space where, oh, okay, I love Kizomba culture. No, you don't really love Kizomba culture. You love going to festivals where you get to dance from Thursday to Monday, right? Because you don't eat, you don't socialize, there's no food. There's no, there's no human, human element uh, uh, involved in it, right? It's almost like a marathon. It's like, and almost some people, some people would count how many dances they got in a night. It's almost like, okay, I paid 130, 20 to 25 dances per social so that on a Monday night, I get 100 dances. So I'll be paying, you know, $13 per dance and that's not a bad return. So how do you teach people? How do you then educate people that the element is way beyond just dancing marathon that's that's the challenge that's the challenge we have today and i think part of the solution comes from getting out of that structure the festival structure uh, that is on the board from the salsa and bachata world uh, and having people travel to angola and experience their more at the source and seeing that the culture itself is so much wider than the pure the aspect of dancing or physical mechanical dancing. Preto e corda paz, só Deus sabe o que ela me faz. Negra você mais linda do que chons ele. Kimberly also added to Rui's commentary on how to educate people on Kisomba's roots. She expanded on the question of how people can begin in acquiring more knowledge regarding the roots of the dance. I actually teach a, a music history class with this. Um, I would say first one would need to understand Rabita and that's like more, it's like a traditional sound or dance or song that predates Simba. But to me, that's the basis of Kizamba dance is Rabita. Then I would say they would need to learn about Kompa. They would need to learn about Zouk, which is from our side of the water, right? From Haiti, from Guadeloupe, from Martinique, from those areas. And again, they're Africans who were displaced in a different country. So that's still an African sound that then gets brought back to Africa, right? But that sound, the Zouk sound and the Kompa sound, if you learn about that and what those rhythms are matched with Rabita and Simba over in Angola, then you have the emergence of Kizomba music. I would say that's the chain and that's how I teach first. I always teach Rabita first, Rabita or Masimba, um, because that's Angolan. And then I talk about Kompa and I talk about Zouk 
And then I go into Simba, then I go into Kizomba, then I go into Ghetto Zook, which is like the more modern-y stuff, Terashinya, which is also an offshoot. Um, and then that leads you to Urban Kiz and Kizomba Fusion. Of course, some people are deeper into the rhythm than others. We asked Kimberly, how can these enthusiasts of Kizomba honor the roots of the dance and share the economic benefits with its original creators? One thing I will say that I think Rui did a wonderful job during the pandemic was being able to showcase and spotlight through virtual sessions, Angolan artists, dancers there to be able to give them one, to be able to share their vast knowledge and creativity, but also to have that connection to the roots of the dance and to see how it can be properly danced. And also social media, you know, like is huge in America and Europe. So, um, and when you're talking about a country that has still has connectivity issues and most people do not have access to internet sometimes videos of Angolan artists just get buried but that's one thing I do give Ruri props to is throughout the pandemic he was able to showcase and honor Angolan artists and help them economically as well by also paying them. The other thing is investing in bringing an Angolan artist to your area. That is another way. Um, it may seem like mm, that might be a lot of money, but trust me, the, the knowledge, the creativity, the top line dancing that you get that's only experienced in Gola, you will get just a small piece of that. And that is so worth the investment for any promoter or festival organizer. The other way is make connections with dancers and or organizations within Angola so that you can do a fundraiser or you can do a book drive or you can do something to be able to give back. I have a really good relationship with a performing arts company over there, um, performing arts school, sorry. And last time I went to Angola, I did a book drive and I took over books, something very small. You can do a fundraiser and contribute to different various organizations that are helping either children or the people in Angola as well. That doesn't take much to organize. And then also just giving credit where it's due is another way. Many times, especially with the internet, it can be quick for people to say, oh, I created that, I did this, I came up with that. But really, people should be giving credit to where it's due. Just tagging somebody in a post or sharing videos, that is giving credit to where it's due. And I think a lot of times people forget the small things that you can do to still have impact. And even if you share those videos, just think of all the people that, you know, not saying anything against European artists, but there's European artists that made 5 million views. Well, they get some of that back from Facebook. They get some of that back from YouTube. So it's the same thing. The same thing can be done for an Angolan artist as well. When I'm in a club, I'm not looking for love. 
I was first introduced to Kizomba I think around 2013 when I started seeing people dancing it in socials in St. Louis, Missouri, where I was living at the time. In our case, back in St. Louis, it was really people from the salsa and bachata scene who introduced it. I was intrigued, but not enough to try it, and it was only until my salsa teacher at the time, Lauren Wilmore, started to teach it that I got into it. I must have taken something like two years or a year and a half with her. I'm not really great at it though, but I really enjoy dancing it. That's really interesting. I was first introduced to Kizomba back when I attended my first congress in 2017. I was curious about what was happening in the Kizomba room and what that was, and I was provided with a pretty degrading response about what the rhythm is that ended up shaping what I understood the rhythm to be. That negative connotation stood with me all the way up until we first learned about Kizomba with Kimberly. Now that we've heard from Kimberly again, as well as Rui in a deeper way, I'm grateful for an opportunity to change my mind about this rhythm. Something that Rui said speaks to what really was my first impression of Kizomba. Because the first videos of Kizomba that I watched were videos of fairly skilled white European dancers, which made me think that white Europeans had taken an African rhythm and had created this stripped-down version of the dance. I thought it looked a little bit like tango. Of course, back then I didn't know that tango also has black roots. But then, I learned a little bit more about the history of Kizomba, about Semba, which I really like, about the Angolan diaspora in Europe, and I learned about the inherent deep African-Angolan black roots of both the dance and the rhythm. So it made me very happy during this episode to hear our guests, Rui and Kimberly, talk about the roots of Kizomba and to underscore that feedback channel that exists between the African continent and the African diaspora. Rhythms and culture were kidnapped away from Africa just to return later, transform and be transformed by their interactions with alternative versions of themselves. I definitely co-signed that reaction. In my case, I'm finally catching up a bit to what you'd begun to learn with Lauren back in the day. I realized I was pretty naive to allow others' perceptions of the rhythm to shape how I understood it. I'll also add that I appreciate Rui's discussion on how we think we know culture because we know the dance and like the music. I see this as an invitation for all of us to be weary of the ways we engage in cultures that are not our own and resist developing assumptions that we're an expert in a culture just because we can dance to the music. Now we can't end this episode without a big thank you to Rui and Kimberly for their contribution. Thank you! We have learned so much and we're so grateful for all the knowledge that you've provided to us and to our listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this. Thanks for listening. This is Mixtape. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To listen to the songs featured in this episode and songs featured in other episodes, check out the Season 2 playlist, which can be found at our website, tarheels.live slash podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at mixtape.podcast, as well as Twitter and YouTube, which are easily accessed through our website. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications for all our new episodes. Have any suggestions, questions, or comments? Email us at themixtapepodcast at gmail.com. You can also send audio clips of your reflections to the content to be featured on our episode. Finally, as an added bonus to listeners, 
you can find a new playlist named Kizomba Black Pride right on our link tree on Instagram. Check it out. Thanks for listening. This is Mixtape.